Have you turned to those two passages? If you haven't, you can do so. Let's pray for those events right now. And let's pray for this morning that God would open our hearts. I asked you a few moments ago if you're ready to hear. So let's pray. Father, thank you once again for all you're doing in our midst. And thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to make a difference in other people's lives. Lord, we lift up next Sunday to you. We pray you would uh, touch people's lives and people would come. Lord God, even next Sunday morning, but uh, uh, to our outreach there to Adventure Kingdom and then next the Sunday after that to Friend Day and Vacation Bible School. We pray, Lord God, people's lives would be transformed in the name of Jesus, I pray. Bless us this morning. We open our hearts to hear what you have to say. And everybody said, Amen. amen. We're on a Jesus journey. Everybody say the Jesus journey. We're learning to follow Jesus how often? Somebody say 24-7. We're not, hey, let me just say this. Following Jesus is not a part-time process. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifetime of following him. And a few Sundays ago, we began this series. And we began by looking at the five uh, passages in Matthew where Jesus said these two words. What did he say? Follow me. Everybody say, follow me. Come on, I need group participation. Everybody say, follow me. He, in five different places, in five different groupings of people, he said, follow me. Uh, the first was Matthew 4 with Peter and Andrew. Uh, it's really Simon and Andrew and James and John. He said, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. And then in Matthew 8, 19 was a scribe and another disciple. And he, he, uh, he, man, he was pretty tough on them. And he said, if you got one said, Hey, I'll, I'll follow you. He said, well, let the dead bury the dead. Don't go. Hey, you, you can't go here and do that and then come back and follow me. You've got to follow me. And then in Matthew 9, 9, the tax collector, Matthew, the tax collector, he told Matthew, come follow me. He just left. He left. Some say a multi-million dollar business to follow Jesus. And then Matthew 16, just more than disciples. He said, you gotta, if you want to follow me, you gotta, you gotta lay down your life and take up your cross and follow me. And then Matthew 19, 21, the rich young ruler. And he did not follow Christ because Jesus told him, he said this, he said, uh, he said, uh, if you want to follow me, you go, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And he went away what? sorrowful because he had much riches. And so those are the five places in Matthew and the different places where Jesus said, follow me. Now that's not all inclusive because if you go to the gospels, you'll find Philip and you'll find uh, places where Paul, Pete, pardon me, where uh, uh, Jesus and Peter interacted with one another, even later in life where Jesus told Peter, hey, you got to follow me. You got to stay on track. You got to keep going. But we looked at these and we, we found the common denominator. There's a common denominator of all of them. You know what it is? Everybody say it out loud. Sacrifice. Let me just say, if you're going to follow Jesus 24-7, it'll always be a... It'll always be. There's something you got to lay down. If you're going to follow him, there's always going to be a sacrifice. And I asked this question the last couple of Sundays. What would cause, uh, you know, four fishermen or, or, or even <coughs> more importantly, the tax collector, Matthew, to leave all that they had and go and follow Jesus just to walk off the job in a sense and sacrifice their future, sacrifice, you know, their finances and, and, and walk off the job and follow Jesus. What would cause somebody to do such a thing for goodness sake well we looked at Peter and this is all review but we looked and we found from Peter's life and from what he said 
throughout his life with, with Christ, we found the secret. Why would somebody do that? Well, we learned in a couple of places, Matthew 16 and John 6, Peter answers the question. In fact, in Matthew 16, Jesus said this. He says, who do people say that I am? They said, well, some say you're this, some say you're that. He said, who do you say that I am? He said, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. We know who you are. And then John 6, we talked about this earlier, where uh, Jesus was preaching the hard saying. How many of you know when you hear somebody say, well, if you want to follow me, you got to eat my flesh, drink my blood. They didn't understand that he wasn't talking about it literally. And the Bible says in that John 6 passage that from that time, they said it's a hard saying. And from that time, many of his disciples turned and followed him no more. And Jesus looked at the 12 and he said, well, y'all are going to leave me too? And Peter said, well, where on earth can we go? You're the one who has the words of life. And then he said this, and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So what would motivate someone to such sacrifice? Here it is. It's a revelation of who Jesus is. And listen, when you understand who he is, that he is the son of God, that he laid down his life for you, that he paid a great price so you could go to heaven. How many of you know he paid a great price so you and I could go to heaven? And he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And he's showing up in our world and in our life right now. And he's saying, follow me. Listen, when you understand who's talking to you, it, it doesn't matter what you laid down because it'll all be worth it when you get what he has to offer you. Amen. Could I get a better amen? And so they all sacrifice, but it just only makes sense. How many of you would lay down the temporal things of this life for the eternal things of that life? That's the reality. I'm laying down the temporal so I can pick up the eternal. And that's what Peter did that day. And that's what the disciples did. They, they laid down the temporal things of this life and picked up the eternal things. You, hey, where else can we go? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. And so that's what we've been talking about the past few Sundays and Today, I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk to you about the temptations that we all experience in this journey in following Christ. You see, in our lifestyle, in our life, there's temptations, and if you've never been tempted on anything, then uh, I need to talk to you. You've got something going on that I don't have going on, but I want to talk to you about the temptations during your journey. Uh, you know, on Wednesday night, we're talking about, uh, we're journeying through First and Second Peter, and we're on a journey. How many of you know we are pilgrims passing through? And if you're following Christ, you're not sitting still. You're moving forward. And in this life, there's going to be temptations and trials and troubles. And let me say this about temptation. Just because we make a decision to follow Christ doesn't immunize us from the temptations from the enemy. In fact, in most cases, once we make a commitment to really follow him and sacrifice and lay down our life and pick up his life, many times the temptations in this life only increase. Why is that? Because the enemy does not want you following Jesus 24-7. The enemy does not want you all in when it comes to following him. He does not want that to be your full-time part or uh, full-time occupation. He would rather you just be a part-time Christian, someone who just kind of, you know, que sera, sera, and, you know, kind of uh, just tiptoe along in life and just kind of follow Christ. Let me tell you something. You just can't kind of follow Christ. 
You've got to be, you've got to be at a place where I'm serving him 24-7. I'm following him 24-7. And, and so what we need to understand, and then this world, there's influences that try to undermine the purpose of God and you're in my life. And we see that in first John chapter two. If you're there, say, I'm there, pastor. First John chapter two, verse 15. Here's what John said. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, let me just pause and say he's not talking about people here. You know, when we sing, he's got the whole world. He's talking about people, right? We're talking about people. He's not talking about people here. John's not talking about people when he says, do not love the world. He's talking about the, the world system. The, okay? And he says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it is of what? It's of the world. And the world is doing what? It's passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God does what? Abides forever. And so we see the world. We, and hey, this is no news. Nobody here is shocked today that in the world there is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that are always trying to keep us away from the will of God in our life. And so it's the temptations of this life. In fact, where did it all begin in this life? Well, it began with Adam and Eve. And if we had time, we could go to Genesis chapter 2 and 3 and we'd look at Adam and Eve and we'd realize that there's nothing new under the sun that when you look and you, when you look closely, and I would encourage you to do this, when you look at the temptation of the devil to Adam and Eve, you know what he used against him? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You can look at it later and you'll find that there, hey, he has a system. Uh, uh, Satan has a system and a methodology to, uh, to, to wield against us. It, it, it appeals to our flesh. It appeals to our base nature. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And then we fast forward into uh, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. You look at Jesus. Did you know that the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 that, that Satan was uh, uh, led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Did, did you catch that? Matthew 4, Jesus, it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we know that he was tempted by the devil. In fact, if you took time, and you should, in Matthew chapter 4, you should look it over and you will realize this, that the devil used three things against uh, uh, Jesus. He used the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And you know what the enemy will use against you today, tomorrow, and the next day to tempt you to, to step away from God's plan and not follow Jesus 24-7? He will use against you. This is no news. Listen, hey, this is not hot off the presses. It's been happening since the beginning of creation. He will use against you the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He will tempt us away from our walk with God and following Him to keep us off, off of and away from God's will and plan for our life. Now, interesting thing about the devil when he, when he used, when he tempted Jesus there in the wilderness, the first two temptations 
were, were, they were very seductive in what, what they're, they were laced with what I call the satanic seeds of doubt. This is a biggie with the inner. He tries to get you to doubt God and his word. And when he couldn't do it the first two times, he then appealed to who Jesus was. But you, you'll see it later. But the first two times he said, if you are the son of God, what was he doing? He was seductively trying to place the seeds of doubt in Jesus with who he was in Christ or who he was as, as Christ. And it did not work. And Jesus was victorious over the devil. And let me just say, by the way, if you just follow in the plan and, and purpose and the wisdom of God and his word, it'll work for you too. Amen. How many of you know the devil doesn't have to be victorious in your life? I got three of you. I said, how many of you know the devil doesn't have to be victorious in your life? Amen. He doesn't. And how many of you would like to rub his nose in it for a change? If you, if you look back in your life, has the devil ever rubbed your nose in it? Man, have you ever got, you know what we need to do? We need to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And just say, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I'm not going to let him rub my nose in it. I'm not going to yield to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. In fact, I'm going to take my stand against him. And we'll talk about that in a moment. In fact, we learned in, in first Peter uh, that we can resist him steadfast in the faith. Amen. And so we need to stand strong in the face of temptation. And there is temptation in this world. I want to show you today uh, four, uh, I'm going to give you four temptations that every full-time follower of Jesus will face. Four temptations that every full-time follower of Jesus will face. Now, and if you're a full-time follower, follower, or you're endeavoring to be a full-time follower of Christ, in fact, let me just say, I don't think there's part-time followers. Uh, uh, for everyone who has set their shoulder to the plow, in fact, one of the Jesus illustrations here that we'll look at, those that put their shoulder to the plow and then look back, they're not fit to follow Christ. And so uh, we want to put our shoulder to the plow today. And I want to show you these four temptations. And I would encourage you to write them down if at all possible, because if, if they're not already operating, if the enemy is not already operating in your life in these four areas, I would be really surprised. And probably specifically in one area, you're, you may be battling the enemy in this particular area. So I'm going to give you four. Are you ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready, Pastor. Here we go. The first one is this. It's the temptation to look back. Everyone say, look back. To, to, as you get moving forward in life, you look back. Now, what I'm referring to is, a, is like second-guessing the decision you made and waffling back and forth in your faith. And I find a lot of people doing this. They, they, say, they, they walk the aisle and then they, they begin to get, they get excited and they, they got born again. And man, they're thrilled about their walk with God. But, but, but not too many days after that, the feeling and the emotion of this new decision begins to wear off. And then comes the daily life style of walking it out and, and through the daily lifestyle of walking it out the, the enemy comes in and he begins to tempt us to waffle back and forth in our life and it's really an attack on our foundation that we've laid in our life and it's the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and he's trying to attack that foundation in your life that was laid when you gave your life to Christ 
If you would with me for a moment, turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, I want to show you what Jesus said along these lines uh, concerning waffling back and forth and making commitments to Christ and then going back on what you said or what you decided to do. Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It's, it's, it's called the cost of discipleship in my Bible. And it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I'll go with you where, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first, uh, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, catch this, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Everyone say looking back. You see, we all have the temptation to look back. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Sodom and Gomorrah, you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot had a wife. You remember Lot? They were fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah because God was judging Sodom and Gomorrah. And what happened to Lot's wife? She looked back. And when she looked back, Wondering, should we be doing this or leaving or not leaving? She waffled back and forth. She wasn't quite sure about the, 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 the decision that her husband had made. And she looked back and what happened in that instant? She turned to a pillar of salt. And Jesus, when he's teaching the disciples and teaching this principle in Luke 17, well, you don't need to turn there, but Luke 17, verse 20 through 32, uh, he's teaching along about this principle of life, about not looking back. And he said, let me just tell you something. You better remember Lot's wife. Everybody say, remember Lot's wife. That's all he, he, he everybody had heard about Lot's wife. Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, Lot's wife, what happened to her in Sodom and Gomorrah? She turned to a pillar of salt. Most everybody knows that. And Jesus is teaching along about the commitment process and about the Jesus journey and about look at pressing forward into the destiny of God. He said, listen, let me warn you about something. You better remember Lot's wife. And what I want you to know today is that all of us face this temptation many times. You know, sometimes preachers face this dip temptation. You know, it, kind of the joke among preachers is every Monday morning they look, you know, and they second guess themselves because attendance wasn't quite what it should have been and offerings were down and, and things didn't go and no one responded in the altar call. And I, I gave it a term. It's PPMS. You've heard of PMS, of course, right? Well, I have PPMS sometimes. It's post-pastoral ministerial syndrome. And if all those things start hitting against me, man, it's bad. I sometimes I just think, man, I just ought to quit. I ought to look back. But listen, you can't look back. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't look back. We've got to guard our hearts against the temptation of looking back and press forward into the future that God has for us. The enemy wants to attack that foundation in our life that we laid when we gave our lives to Christ and we said He is the Lord of our life and laid the foundation of lordship in our life. And, and as we move through life, I'm telling you, the enemy comes in and oh, he is a sneaky fella. He will sneak in and somewhere or another begin to drop that seed in your heart. Well, maybe you didn't make the right decision. Maybe this, this commitment that I made, that's a little too costly. There's a little too much sacrifice involved. And you begin to waffle back and forth. 
I want to encourage you to remember Lot's wife. Then the second temptation that I see that every full-time follower, every disciple will face uh, at some point in their life. It's not only the temptation to look back, but it's the temptation to what the Bible says is drawback. I want you to look, and it's, this is really an attack on our faith. All of them are ultimately attack on our faith. But this temptation to draw back is an attack on our faith. And it refers to a fearful reaction rather than a faith-filled response. We look at the future and we look at the sacrifice and we look at the cost and we look at all and, and fear grips our heart. And we, we react to the circumstances of life in a fearful way rather than respond to them in a faith-filled way. I want you, I want to show you this in Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to take a little turn to Hebrews chapter 10 with me just for a moment. And I want to show you this where the scripture says this concerning faith and drawing back. It says this in chapter 11. It says verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence. How many of you know he's talking about your faith? Which has great reward. Now follow with me in this passage of Scripture. He said, don't cast away your confidence. Let me tell you something. That's what we're talking about. It's the temptation to draw back, to cast away your confidence in God's Word. He says, for you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive what? The promise. And then he quotes Old Testament passage, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by what? The just shall live by what? Faith. What a revelation. Then he says, but if anyone draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. I'm telling you, this is a temptation we'll all face. You need to understand, we've got we've to guard our hearts, not only against the temptation to look back, but to draw back in fear and go, I just don't know. I'm just not sure. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if this is, uh, I, I don't know if God's big enough to, to, to help me through these situations. He said, listen, God has no pleasure in those who draw back. Don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You've got to get a hold of the faith. And God said, Hey, he doesn't, he's, but we are not of those. He said, Hey, I'm going to make a declaration. We are not of those who draw back unto perdition, but we are those who believe, who have faith to the saving of the soul. Listen, there will be a, a, an attack on your faith on a daily basis. Listen, culture is trying to undermine us uh, already. We can't let that happen. We can't let the enemy undermine our faith because, hey, John said it this way, First John chapter 5, verse 4. He said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. If the enemy can undermine your faith and cause you to draw back, You'll begin to react in fear on every hand. And listen, if you're here today and you're battling with this temptation to draw back and fearful of where faith will take you, listen, faith will lead you into the destiny of God for your life. And that's why Peter and, and, and the guys had no problem leaving it all. They realized, man, I'm headed nowhere here. Uh, this temporal life is taking me nowhere, but Jesus, He's the Christ. He's the Son of the living God, and He will take me into the destiny of God. He will turn me into a fisher of men. Hey, I'm all in. Amen.
It's the temptation to draw back. It'll attack your faith and cause you to react in fear rather than in faith. And then number three, the third temptation that I see in Scripture in the New Testament especially that every full-time follower will face at some time in life is not only the temptation to look back and the temptation to draw back, but then it comes the temptation just to sit back. Oh, I've met a lot of sit-back Christians. And what is this? What am I referring to? The choice to simply park rather than to press forward. Get to a place where you just feel comfortable and I'm parking here. I'm pulling over here. I'm not, oh, that press is a, that traffic is a mess. I'm just pulling over. I'm just going to put it in neutral. In fact, not only am I going to put it in neutral, I'm putting it in park and I'm just going to rejoice in Jesus and go to church and, and, and do my little part. But this, hey, this big issue about pressing forward and fulfilling God's purpose for my life is just a little overwhelming. I think I'm just going to park. Listen, that's an attack by the devil on your future. It's the temptation just to park in life rather than to press forward. And it's an attack on your future. And let me just say, God has a big plan for your life. Tell somebody, God has a big plan for your life. Come on, I said, tell somebody. God has a big plan for your life. It's okay to talk when I tell you to talk. It's good. It's okay. You can look at your brother, your wife. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to tell my husband that if God has a plan for his life, yes. I'm going to tell my, yes. I'm going to tell a stranger, yes. God has a plan for your life. And, and, and listen, uh, uh, hey, listen. He has a future for us. We just can't part. We gotta press forward. Everybody say press forward. Look over, look over in Philippians 4. I've got a little time here. Let me show you Philippians 4. If you're in Hebrews, you can flip over to Philippians. Everybody say, I'm flipping to Philippians. I'm flipping over to Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Paul the apostle undoubtedly had been tempted to put it in part. And he said this, he faced this thing head on. And I love it. And you can read this in greater context. He says in verse 14, he said, oh, verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. In other words, I'm not in park. Everybody say, we shouldn't be in park. I'm not in park. He said, I don't count myself to have apprehended or to have arrived. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. He's talking about his future. And I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's pressing forward. He's not in park. Listen, understand something about your life. The enemy tries to get you to arrive at a spot and say, well, I've gone as far as I need to go. I have arrived. Everything's fine. I got my family, I got my church, I got my, my, my job, I got my house, Ooh, I got my this, my that, it's all about me, life, Ooh, life is good, I even danced the jig in church, Ooh, I'm having a good time, listen, God does not want us just to arrive at a place, He wants us to keep pressing forward, you are not done yet, Jim has retired, but he is not done yet. In fact, he's busier today probably than he was when he was at work. In fact, I make this declaration about, about us. Hey, God, listen, understand something. Uh, retirement is not an option. 
Retirement, I'm not talking about retiring from your job, but you can't retire from God's kingdom purposes in your life and just sit back. But everybody is tempted. Listen, I, I, I get tempted about that. Then I realize if I do that, where will the joy of life be? And then when I get really base in my thinking, you just got to be honest. How am I going to pay for that? <laughs> I've not arrived at a place where I can just sit back. But the reality is there's too much to do. There's too many people going to hell for us to sit back and just think about my life and to retire. Hey, retirement is not an option. Are you with me? And so there's an attack on our future. There's a temptation just to set back. There's a temptation to draw back and, and, and react to the circumstances of life in fear rather than faith. There's a temptation to look back and second guess whether or not you're really following Christ or not or whether you really made the right decision. And then finally today, there's a temptation. And this one is, this one, listen, this is, this is terrible. I just pray none of us ever get to this place, but it's a temptation just to flat out turn back. To stop and go another direction. Because when you get to that place, you're in serious trouble. What I'm referring to here is, is a continued hunger for the old life that would hinder and halt even the new life that Christ has started in your life. The temptation just to turn back and to quit and throw in the towel and say, you know what, I love the old life more than this new life. And Jesus taught us no man can serve two masters. Either you'll love the one and hate the other, hate the one and love the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. So at some point in life, you'll be at the place where I'm either going to press forward into the destiny of God for my life or I'm going to yield to this temptation just to turn back. And sadly, I have met people who have made that choice. It not only breaks my heart, it breaks God's heart. And ultimately, it, it brings trouble and despair upon those who just choose the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life over God's purpose and plan for their life. They just chose to turn back. And this temptation is a flat-out attack on your spiritual freedom. Because the Bible says when you give your life to Christ, He frees you from some things. There's liberty. In fact, what did Jesus say in, 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 in Luke 4 when it says He picked up the scrolls and He read? He said, I came to set the captive free. The Bible says we're all in bondage to sin. We're all in bondage to the influences of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But Jesus, through the cross, came to set us free. How many of you appreciate the liberty we have in Christ? And why, for goodness sake, would we give up that freedom in Christ to go back to the old life? You would think, how could we do that? Well, my friend, when you succumb to the temptation... A lot of the things we do don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. In fact, the Galatian church, listen, the Galatian church, if you want to, let me just show, show you this. They struggled in this area. That's why uh, Paul had to tell them in Galatians 5, you got to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free and don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. 
you got to take your stand in the liberty. In fact, if you look in chapter 4, if you look over in verse 9, look what he says this. He says, but now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements which you desire again to be in bondage? Are you desiring to be a slave of sin once again? He's trying to awaken them to the devastation of their decision to go back into bondage. I think of the children of Israel. They, they got that in their head too. In the process of being liberated. Hello. If you, and they got all confused in their head. Where were they? They were in Egyptian bondage. What were they doing? They were slaves to the Egyptians. Was it good? No. Was it terrible? Yes. Did they wish they weren't there? Yes. But in the process of getting from there to there, they got all confused because as they pressed forward and they said, uh, I think we had it better in Egypt. You did? I think slavery is better. They yield to the temptation to turn back. This morning, listen, if we're going to follow Jesus 24 7, we got to build a hedge around our life and we got to realize some things about the temptations of this life that they're very real and they will take us under. You can't tiptoe around the tulips with temptation. You got to take your stand. And that's why Paul told the Galatians, he said in chapter five, verse one, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free and don't be entangled in the yoke of bondage. Verse 16, oh my goodness, there's so many much here, I wish we could just camp out. He said, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If you live in the Spirit, verse 25, let us also walk in the Spirit. In other words, don't yield to the temptation to turn back. Don't let the enemy rob you of your freedom. By turning back, don't let the enemy rob you of your future by just taking a sit down and putting it in park and just sit back. Don't let the enemy rob you of your faith by yielding to the temptation to draw back in fear rather than in faith. Don't let the enemy rob you of the foundation of what Christ has done in your life by second-guessing yourself and waffling back and forth and looking back. Remember Lot's wife. I came to tell you today that temptation is real. And many of God's people fall prey to it. Many of His disciples in Jesus' day in John 6 fell prey to it and they turned back. They looked back. They left Him. Peter said, where else can we go? You're the one that has the words of life and we've come to believe and to know that you're the Christ the Son of the living God. And today, I want to close with this passage of Scripture and a couple more thoughts. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Paul said, There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. In fact, let's read it together. It's on your screen. Can you see it? I want you to read it out loud like you were the only one talking. You needed everybody to hear you. Here we go. Everybody together. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Say that line again. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with that temptation, will also make the way of escape 
that you may be able to bear it. You see, with every temptation, and the Bible says in James, God tempts no one. But in every temptation, Jesus is right there. See, if you're on your Jesus journey, even in the middle of your Jesus journey, the devil will come to tempt you. In fact, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was certainly on a journey. And even in the middle of your journey, you will be tempted. And let me just throw this out at you. Temptation is not a sin. Tell your neighbor, temptation is not a sin. It's what you do with the temptation or how you react or respond to the temptation. Temptation is not a sin. And let me just say, it's not wrong to be tempted to lust. It's not wrong to be tempted to desire the things of this world. That's not wrong to be tempted. It's wrong to yield to the temptation. And Jesus will always be there with a way of escape that you may be able to bear it or that you may be able to move through it, that you may be able to walk through without yielding to that temptation. Jesus overcame the devil with the word of the Lord in his life. You see, every time the devil hit him with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, he would say, it is written. Everybody say, it is written. He had a confidence. See, what, what did Hebrews say? In Hebrews 11, don't cast away your confidence. He had a confidence in what the Bible said. He said, don't cast away your confidence for the temptations of this life. Have a trust and a, and a faith in the Word of God. And Today, understand something on this Jesus journey that all of us are on. There will be temptations. There will be temptations that sometimes we don't think we can bear, but hey, with every temptation, Jesus is there. And He's as close as the mention of His name. We can choose to follow Him once again in the middle of the temptation. And resist, as Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, resist Him steadfast in the faith. In fact, Paul told Timothy, his son in the faith, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Everybody go, 2 Timothy 2, 22. Say it, 2 Timothy 2, 22. Everybody needs to memorize this. I did as a young man. It says, flee also youthful lust and pursue after righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on God from a pure heart. In other words, turn your back on these temptations of life and flee them by way of pursuing after righteousness, faith, love, and peace. You see, when you get your eyes on your future and you get your eyes on the destiny of God, you get your eyes on Him. It only makes sense to lay these things down and follow Him. And today for all of us, right now in this place Jesus is our way of escape we can be victorious let's stand together as we stand today at the close of this service today I just want to challenge you in something I want to challenge you to open your eyes in fact Paul said we shouldn't be ignorant of the devil's devices and today as we bow our heads before the Lord 
I just want us to revisit these four thoughts this morning. And if any of these, in fact, I know that the enemy is undoubtedly working overtime in all of our lives. But if you're being tempted to look back and second guess your decision with Christ, just remember Lot's wife. If you're being tempted to draw back in fear rather than faith, just remember that faith is how we move into the victory of God that overcomes the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you're being tempted just to sit back and put it in park, you need to understand when you put it in park, before long you can't figure out how to get it in drive. You'll miss the future that God has for you. And finally, if you're here today and God forbid, but I know how the enemy works. If you're here today as a follower of Christ and something's been whispering to you just to turn back and chuck it all, you need to understand you're on your way back into sin and bondage. You'll sacrifice the liberty that Christ has for you. You've got to take your stand and say, I'm going to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set me free. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and I would not embarrass any, but I want you to know, you, all of us, none of us are immune. Listen, I said the first thing I said, basically. Just because you've made a decision to follow Jesus does not make you immune to the temptations of the enemy. It makes you a target. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if some of you are really struggling in some areas, in these temptations, especially in these four areas, cause you to be knocked out of the call of God for your life if you're in that place you say pastor there was one of these maybe two that you're really battling with I want you to lift your hand wherever you are I'm going to pray for you God bless you God bless your hands going up all over this room anybody else lifted up I see those hands God bless you God bless you there's some people being tempted to park I promise you that's a big one there's some people being tempted just to kind of, I've got it in park. I've gone far enough. God knows. Hey, I see those hands. And more importantly, God sees these hands today. He sees us all. And now, if all of you can say, who here today say, I've, I've at some time or another battled one or all of these in my life. Everybody lift your hand. We all have. We're going to take our stand today. And we're going to resist the devil. We're going to bind him. Listen, he is your enemy. He is the father of lies. He's got a world system that he uses. The world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We're going to stand fast against him today at the place of prayer. And we're going to bind the enemy off our life. And we're going to, we're going to press him back right now in the name of Jesus. Father, today as we bow before you, we thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we thank you that there's no weapon formed against us that will prosper unless we give it permission to prosper. And so today, we take our stand in the Word of God against the temptations of this life, against the temptation to, to look back, the temptation to draw back, the temptation to 
just setback, the temptation to, uh, God forbid, to turn back. Lord, we resist these temptations that come our way to knock us out of the race that you've placed us in. And Lord, we just thank you today that no demon or devil in hell can have victory in our life. And we bind the enemy today for you said whatever we bind on heaven in earth will be bound in heaven we bind every demon devil in hell that is trying to resist us to uh, tempt us to undermine our faith and keep us from the will of god and knock us out of our lifestyle of following you 24 7 lord today we stand strong in the word of god and we thank you that your word is as a sword of the spirit that we wield against the powers of darkness in the name of jesus christ and we take authority over him and we thank you that he is put under our feet right now in the name of jesus i want you symbolically just to put the devil under your feet today and say he will not be victorious over my life in the name of Jesus Christ, I stand secure in the liberty wherewith Christ has set me free. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said amen. Whew. It's a battle out there. More importantly, it's a battle in here. Am I right? And then a battle in here. we got to put on the whole armor of God. Read, read Ephesians 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. we got to take our stand. Amen? Everybody go, you got to get mean against those temptations. You can't pet it. You can't compromise with it. It'll poison your system. Amen. Now let me close with this. If you're here today, you're searching for a church home, let me just say, we'd love to have you as part of Church on the Rock North. We're not the biggest and brightest, probably not the best, you know, but we serve the one who is. If you believe God's drawing you to this church or you'd just like us to pray for you, I see Jim and Trish here. They'll be hanging around this table right over here at the close of this service. If you believe God is adding you to this church, you can just go right over there and say, you know what? We got the divine okie-dokie. We believe this is our family. You're our pastor. Pastor Sam and Beverly are our pastors and we just want to plug in, get involved and press forward. They know what to do. They'll give you information and they'll get you moving in the right direction. Amen. It's a great day. Everybody say it's a great day. Now, finally, if you're lost and without Christ, listen, Jim and Trish can help you find him too. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for your sin, paid a great price so you could be his child. All you have to do is believe that and receive that. You'll begin your Jesus journey just like many have here today. Amen. Everybody love the Lord. Say amen. Let's give the Lord a great big praise offering today and thank him today. Amen.